Shannon and Howdy coming to you on a, I mean, and what else could it be right now, but a rainy Tuesday morning. Got a lot of baseball to talk about, a lot of Mariners to talk about, and I think, Howdy, the biggest thing is we are ever closer to the start of spring training, which means we are ever closer to the start of the season. And Shannon, it didn't seem like that was always going to be the case. There was some wonderings as to whether or not the league was going to be able to push the season back a little bit. I think you've got a little bit more insight into how this unfolded. Take us through what could have been another shortened season, but now is looking like a full one. Yeah, and and not quite as shortened as the last season. Of course, we're talking about what's happened over the weekend, and I, I guess kind of broke on Saturday with news coming out that uh, MLB had uh, offered a few things to the players in exchange for starting spring training late, having a 154-game season paid at the 162-game rate. And you take a look at that and first blushes, well, doesn't that look great? Uh, Arizona right now uh, is among, although I'm told the numbers are getting much, much better and getting better quickly, but has been one of the worst areas in the entire world as far as uh, transmission goes with COVID-19 and whatever else it is right now for that matter. And they did some studies that said that if you held this thing off a a month, that uh, those numbers were going to go way, way, way down, and that could benefit everyone. And, of course, the last time the players and uh, owners tangled, it was over length of season and pay, and baseball's like, well, why don't we just give you 162? We'll play 154, lots of doubleheaders, push this into November a bit, and uh, it'd be great for everyone. And if only it was that simple. (laughs) It wasn't. I don't want to get too into it, but there are, if you're on Twitter or online, a lot of good explanations out there, uh, anywhere from Jeff Passan at ESPN to on um, Twitter, there is a uh, an attorney named Eugene Friedman. I believe he was, a, yeah, in fact, I'm pretty sure he was a labor negotiator as well, not for baseball, but for um, some you know, other very, very significant organizations. And he kind of lays out uh, the dance that was going on between baseball and the players union in this one. And I think that you can look at it and there are a lot of common sense things that come into play. And why are we now coming to this two weeks before it's all supposed to start? Don't people have arrangements that have been made in the places that they're going? And why do other things have to be tied to it? And and I think that that is a, a big part of it. The legalese and the collective bargaining agreement, and this is, is the biggest thing, and we saw this if you were watching closely, when things shut down and they were looking to get it going again last year, the bottom line is that there is an agreement in place for a season. It is the collective bargaining agreement. This isn't like last year after the shutdown where there was a force majeure and the commissioner was able to take over, dictate a season. He didn't want to. They wanted to negotiate something, but that uh, didn't happen. But he cannot. He's not in a place right now where he can decide what the season the length of season is. We're not in the same situation that we were in a year ago. Other teams are playing. So uh, they, they fall back on normal rules. And on the player's side, they were saying that, you know, we've made arrangements in Arizona and Florida. And what was a bigger concern, it would appear, is the pitchers are right now ramping up and we don't want them to stop for health reasons. And also they felt we just went through a 60-game season, uh, had uh, you know, relatively few cases, especially if you compare it to the other leagues. Baseball, believe it or not, and for all the you know, hand-wringing we had over it at the time, did a very good job in, in, in containing this. Um, they feel that they can start. Of course, 
on the other side, the owners, one of the reasons why they would want to push it on top of health is the later this goes, uh, the more likely they are to be able to have fans in certain places. And of course, fans turn to gate, which is uh, money. So there was that as well. Uh, I, I think that ultimately what we're seeing is is just a horrible relationship between the two sides. We've covered this quite a bit. And uh, I, I think that if this were truly about doing the right thing and the safe thing, then you say, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we'd like to do. And you don't tie anything else to it. And, uh, you know, what it turned out to be was both sides looking at this as kind of a negotiating ploy or a, a way to get a leg up ahead of uh, the collective bargaining agreement coming up at the end of this season rather than just focusing on what the situation at hand was. So as it turns out, uh, there were talks over the weekend. There was not a counterproposal, and both sides are saying we're ready to go now. And so for four days it was up in the air, but right now we are right back on track. So pitchers and catchers will be reporting no later than February 17. But as I said, there's a lot that you can read out there about this. Uh, it's this, you know, more than anything has been a labor ploy and, and and on both sides. And so, you know, once again, they get nowhere with this. And if they truly wanted to do something and uh, truly wanted to uh, have, uh, you know, some impact here, they could have started this a lot sooner. I, I think the timing wasn't good, although I, I guess the players were approached in December about it. And they said no about starting late. And they said, no, we would like to start on time. And that was the end of discussion. So, um I don't know if it was a push comes to shove. I don't know what you know made Major League Baseball think that they were going to take their offer at this juncture. But uh, you know, bottom line is, is we are in the same place where we were a week ago. Everything is on time right now, and they'll have to act accordingly. And both sides do not like or trust each other. <laughs> and from a and, baseball fan's perspective, and no, no expanded playoffs, no DH in the NL. There, you know, everything. We are going back to normal rules all of which could be negotiated here and there. We still could see an agreement uh, at the end of spring training to expanded playoffs or the probably not the DH at that point. But um, also, I mean, you're going back to rules like it, it's going to be nine inning double headers. Extra innings will start the way they've started previously. There won't be a runner on seconds. So we'll see if all of that holds. But uh, for now, the big things are off the table. For baseball fans, assuming nobody, uh, there's no deaths and serious illnesses that come from them starting spring training in the season, that's a big assumption. But if you were to say that we get through this whole thing and there isn't anything major that comes up, this is a huge win for baseball fans. This is business as normal, as close as it can get for a baseball fan. So for me personally, I'm going to operate on the principle that they're going to be like these other leagues and like they were last year and be careful and uh, not get sick uh, as much as they can help it. And uh, we get baseball. So I'm very excited. I'm excited for uh, a spring training that starts on time season that starts on time and getting back to regular baseball. I think it's great. Yeah, and it'll be up to them. And they did a great job of it last year. Two things, and I hate to throw cold water on any of this, and absolutely baseball is coming, and that is a great thing. But, uh, you know, again, the sad thing is, is we are now a year into this, and the two sides cannot get on the same page on anything with a labor agreement coming up at the end of the season. So it would have been nice if they were able to sit down and negotiate something, but they weren't. And the other thing is, I think it's going to be very difficult this year. They did a with the protocols last year. It was for 60 games in a summer camp. You were looking at doubling, almost tripling that. And, and I think that is going to be a much, much tougher 
thing. Uh, baseball players, and I said this last year, I'll say it again, they are creatures of routine, so they get into that routine. But uh, I, I think that uh, I think there were some players that were kind of at wit's end by the end of this thing. And, you know, the, the protocols were very strict on the road. Uh, you know, they weren't allowed to leave the hotels, basically. Things like that can be very, very tough. But they also want to play. They know what they have to do to play. They've seen what happens when there are breaches in, in, in their bubbles. And, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe, as tough as it will be, they know more now. They're preparing for that as they would prepare for anything else. And uh, hopefully you see similar success uh, to what they did last year. I want to touch a little bit on the uh, virtual blast in the media week that the Mariners put on this last week. Um, before we get into the Nolan Arenado trade and the big stuff of the weekend from baseball roster perspectives, including how that fits the Mariners and where they sit in all of this. But I would love to get more of your uh, – you sent a great email to most of us in the staff about some of your takeaways from it. What did you get out of this virtual blast in the media week? Well, you know, there are two sides to it. There's the fan side of it, and then there's the trying to get news out of it or trying to get, you know, just kind of a, an idea of a general direction out of it. And it was, um, first of all, it was a lot of work. They took the busiest week for us, the reporters, Mariners reporters, and turned it into two weeks. And what they did was they took the biggest event that they have, uh, off-season event, which is the pre-spring training lunch, and that's uh, – a day that we all go into the ballpark and we sit in a room for about two and a half to three hours and they bring person after person after person. You see the general manager, the manager, usually the trainer with updates. Players are brought out. Um, Andy McKay from Player Development is brought out. They announce uh, staff changes, things like that. A lot of information all at once. Well, they took all of that and more and they stretched it out over two weeks. So uh, about just about every day there was something, there was some sort of press conference for us, which was great because it was an opportunity. And there were more than there normally would have been because they are doing it this way. Uh, we normally probably wouldn't talk to the pitching coach. Uh, we talked to the pitching coach. We talked to Tim Laker, the hitting coach, who was out last year uh, after the Mariners decided he had uh, he, he was at, at risk. And they decided the safest thing to do was to keep Tim Laker and Perry Hill home last year. And they coached remotely. So he had the opportunity to talk to Tim Laker for the first time in a year. Uh, you had a lot of uh, the prospects, you know, Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Emerson Hancock, uh, all just just a huge, huge uh, array of players and press conferences. And they allowed fans to, to watch on social media these press conferences. But in addition to the press conferences, and I checked in on some of the other kind of fun things where sometimes I think you learn as much as you would in a press conference. They did all sorts of Instagram takeovers, uh, Twitter takeovers, the YouTube interviews. And there was a lot of fun that was had, too. Mitch Hanniger, and, and this was just great. And I think you can go back. I think this is all still online. They had a chat with Mitch Hanniger from his home while he was barbecuing. <laughs> and Mitch is, uh, and I've got an article up on 710sports.com right now about his comeback and everything that's gone into that. He is, he probably, you remember how Ichiro was so particular about everything in his routine and mm -hmm. everything he ate. And he had different workout equipment and, and things like that in his own program. That's Mitch. That is definitely Mitch. So he's not going to just throw some steaks on the barbecue. They are going to be grass fed, prime this, that, and mm -hmm. you know, no GMOs or anything else. <laughs> but what he did is he made meatloaf. He was making meatloaf and putting it on the Traeger grill. <laughs> and 
Wow. This isn't a situation where they've like Uber produced everything and they send out a cameraman. No, it was Mitch and his phone. <laughs> and so he is in his kitchen in California setting up the phone and, and you're seeing just, you know, they're not great camera angles, trying to take questions on the phone, have the shot while he's got his hands in a bowl of like ground, I'm sure it was buffalo or something, <laughs> and making these these meatloaf patties and telling you what's in it and everything else, and then taking it out to the grill while he's answering fan questions. That's awesome. And it was awesome. I call it meatloaf with Mitch, and it was my favorite thing this <laughs> offseason. Uh, you had uh, Marco Gonzalez um, interviewing Kendall Graveman with, with Aaron Goldsmith as well. And that was a lot of fun. So you see a lot more personalities coming out. So, so there were a lot of, of different some of this personality, things. I'd like to cut into some of these things, uh, and specifically with some of the young guys. Uh, give me a takeaway from each of these young people that were that you mentioned earlier. Give me a takeaway of the chat with uh, Julio Rodriguez. Oh, it was great. I mean, Julio is one of those people who is just, um, I'll say it, he's a ray of sunshine. Mm. Uh, he is always upbeat. It, it, everything is always positive, it, be it an injury, a struggle, the home run he hit, better yet, the home run that his his uh, teammate hit. If he is do, in a situation where they are having batting practice against their own pitchers, if his pitcher strikes him out, he's going to be happy for him. That That's Julio Rodriguez. And, you know, that was on full display. And one of the things that I was really interested in, with Julio is remember, you know, he was invited to the alternate site and uh, was injured. He was injured even before that started. And, you know, another wrist injury, broken bone in the wrist. And he is a hundred percent healed, which is great. Went down to Arizona, did instructional league, had insane exit velocities uh, in Arizona, and then went and played winter ball. And I think if you were following along with winter ball, you were seeing that his numbers were not great, which, to me, was no surprise because winter ball, that is a legit league. And he, again, was going to be one of the youngest players down there. And he's going to see pitching like he hasn't seen before. And I was really kind of curious as to what he got out of winter ball because it didn't look like there was a lot of success with the bat. And he said he got more out of winter ball, I think it was about a month and a half, than he has at any other time in his career because he saw more from professionals, you know, be it former major leaguers or Dominican professionals and not just in what he was facing, but being around them in the clubhouse. And one of the people that really took him under his wing was Fernando Rodney, who was a teammate. Nice. And, <laughs> and I love that because I know Fernando enough that, you know, you, you think of the antics, but he is as solid a baseball person as there is. And he was especially just kind of thrilled with the life lessons that he was learning from Fernando and talking about the love of baseball and how that is the most important thing. That was the message that Rodney was trying to give to Julio. So it was a lot of fun just to see that, yeah, there was a little bit of a struggle down there, but he absolutely enjoyed every moment of it and thinks that, you know, on, on another level got more out of that than anywhere else he's been. Uh, take me through Marco Gonzalez. Talk with him. I mean, it, it seems so much clearer now as time goes on and we get further uh, into his career. He seems like the unquestioned leader of this team. Uh, tell me more about what you got out of Marco Gonzalez and his talk. Well, you know what? There were two. There was a media session and then there was, uh, he does, and he's done a few of these, but he does, uh, I think it's on YouTube, an interview show with Aaron Goldsmith. And it's not Aaron interviewing Marco, it's Aaron and Marco interviewing teammates. And so they were two very different um, 
pieces of video with the media. He, he's a lot more buttoned up. And, and I think that Marco and, and kind of his off-field growth, I think, has really taken on that leadership role. And in that, he is going to be... Um, it's not that he's going to say the right thing because it's not always the, quote, right thing. You know, he is not particularly, he didn't say this, but if you were watching body language and kind of the curtness of his answer, uh, not thrilled about the six-man rotation, which is understandable. Veterans don't like that kind of thing. They want they want the ball as much as they can get. They want their numbers. He wants to be able to throw 200 innings, even though he's coming off of just under 70. And you know what? You don't want Marco any other way. You want that from him. But um, just a little bit, you know, a little bit shorter with the media. And of course, you get into a situation where he is with a teammate and all the stuff comes out and, uh, you know, they're, they're having a lot of fun together in, in, in the way that they're, they're talking and their interactions. And you see that, um, you know, they both think the world of each other. Graveman is also a leader on this, in this clubhouse and very interesting Pete Woodworth, the pitching coach, when he was asked who he was most looking forward to seeing, in spring training, you know, hemmed and hawed a little bit and then came out with Graveman. And because of the person he is, everything he went through, and man, that stuff's going to look nasty in relief. And really interested to see what that looks like. Um, but in that conversation with Graveman, the topic of Mitch Hanniger came up. And uh, I, I found this very interesting. And it was a quote, and I tweeted it out there. Marco said, you know, this guy is so focused. And we see this in the clubhouse. I know Ryan Divish has kind of joked about Mitch being the robot. Uh, quite a bit. And uh, it's not just with us. Marco said that, you know, this guy, you rarely get a word in with him because it's from one preparation to another, to another, to another. And he's laser focused in everything that he does. And he said, this guy, we call him, this was our nickname for him. We call him our champion. Hmm. And if he is healthy and if he is hitting again, this is a guy that they look to, to lead the offense. And I found that to be very, very interesting. That is really interesting, and and when you talk about some of those roles within the team and the clubhouse, naturally people start thinking about the future and how that clubhouse looks when Jared Kelnick gets there and his personality and how it all fits in, but I'd love to know more from you about what you've heard from Jared Kelnick, what you've seen from him personally in listening to him. He sounds a little bit more grown up to me uh, just in listening mm-hmm. to it. It's He sounds a little bit less, um, I don't know, less bro-y and a little bit more together and focused, not I mean, focus is a weird word because it's not like before he lacked focus and didn't know what he was doing, but maybe just, um, I don't know, a, a little bit more lasered in. What do you think? What did you hear? That's exactly what I saw, and it was a little bit of a surprise because when you're prepping for that interview, uh, Jared Kelnick is supremely confident, and just like with you want Marco Gonzalez to want the ball every five days and to hate the six-man rotation, you want Jared Kelnick supremely confident. That's who he is. That's how he operates. And up to this point and everything that he's done in his young baseball career, that's what he deserves. He is a top prospect. We're not talking the Mariners' top prospect. We are talking a top prospect. And, you know, he is very driven and uh, very um, he very much knows where he should be and what he wants to be. And I think Andy McKay put it really, really well when he said, you know, most guys are just happy to get to the big leagues, and that's that's their dream. You know, Jared Kelnick doesn't just want to get to the big leagues. He doesn't just want to get to the all-star game. 
He doesn't just want to win a World Series. He wants to be a Hall of Famer. And that's pretty audacious for a 19, 20, 21-year-old. But that's who he is. That's who he sees himself at. And that is what he is working toward. And the other side of him, though, is that kind of bro side that you talked about in spring training. Uh, he and Julio were hanging out quite a bit. And it was the Julio and Jared show anytime you would interview them. And that's a lot of fun. And you like that kind of hair on fire and I'm really confident. And, and, you know, it's just kind of almost, you know, I'm not going to say anything that's disrespectful, but there's almost a wink towards what, you know, I, I know that I'm not supposed to say this, but this is kind of the intent. I'm really great. That kind of thing. That was not in the media session that we saw with him. In and, fact, yet, and yet, Shannon, it wasn't that he was giving canned answers. And he was speaking in the traditional cliches that athletes and specifically baseball players use. It sounded like he was genuine, and he's just maybe, I don't know, matured a little bit more. It's, I mean, what a, these w- words are so loaded. But like, it does seem like he's sort of developed a better understanding of who he is, and his confidence has maybe gone from brashness to uh, a, an accurate understanding of where he fits and how his goals play into that. Which would be great if that's it. The other possibility is is that this is how I'm going to act because this is where I should be right now. And and that's the thing that you have to kind of figure out about young players. And, you know, is it real or is he acting that way because that's going to get him to where he wants to be? Uh, I think that brashness is always going to be there. And I think that's why this was... A little bit. I think to me it was when I saw it, I was like, all right, this is subdued Jared Kelnick. You know, he's focused right now. And I think it was also kind of a message in that, I, you know, I'm not messing around. I really want this. I think I should be up. And at the same time, when he said something to that effect that, yeah, I, I think I'm ready for it. He said, I would have said that two years ago. And he said that with a laugh. So he's aware that what he's thinking might not always jive with what everybody else is thinking and but that's he's certainly not going to change his mind yeah that's who he is so i i found that to be very very interesting the other thing that jumped out at me is he was talking about his off-season work and it's all well documented and on social media and it's pretty spectacular his yeah. parents own a baseball facility so he, he's lacked for nothing in training and he's gotten after it in every regard he's certainly he's lacking on... for nothing in quads either holy smokes wow <laughs> um this is going to be the end of my waxing poetic here this next portion of the podcast before we get into um, some more critical questions and some more um trying to figure out how the mariners are going to fit into major league baseball's landscape and how the developments in the nolan arenado trade relate to the mariners as well because i'd love to get more of your thoughts on that but Major League Baseball Pipeline on uh, it's a, a prospect ranking system through um, through Twitter this week tweeted out a, a trio picture of Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, mm. and Kyle Lewis, um, and sort of like in a what if like is this the future outfield in baseball? And you know Mariners fans have been jaded for quite some time about prospects and will they or won't they come into realizing all their potential based on what's happened in the past, but. I was talking about this with Brock and Salk and the Brock and Salk podcast a couple weeks ago. There hasn't been a time since I've been a Mariners fan where they've had two prospects in the top five of baseball. That's, I mean, I have been on multiple vodcasts and podcasts with you pining for the Mariners to get elite level talent somewhere in their organization and to stop settling for average to slightly above average stuff and pretending like it's going to make you a World Series winner. Here they are. 
They got their AL Rookie of the Year on one side, already in the league, and they've got two top five prospects knocking down the door. One of them very soon, the other could be right behind uh, within a year or two. If these guys really did pan out, Shannon, if all three of these guys truly did realize their potential, what does that look like for the Seattle Mariners in, in their place in baseball moving forward? Oh, an absolutely ridiculous outfield. That I mean, because you're throwing Kyle. Kyle Lewis was in that picture, yes. too. And I, I think that when you look at the great teams, it's not enough to have one young superstar. You need two which is why you don't want to see either traded and why I don't think you will see either traded and why perhaps you're taking a little bit longer with this so you don't have to trade one of them to get something that you need. So you have a more robust farm system and other prospects that you can do that with. I I think that's important. Um, I don't think it is a view of just having one in the future and this is the guy that's going to lead us. I think it's looking at both and, and Kyle Lewis perhaps coming into that picture too. Uh, I, I think that that is just incredibly important. And my curiosity to that is if they live up to that, is the spotlight going to be, you know, are you going to see more focus on what's happening in Seattle? You know, it's hard because you look at what does it mean for them? Well, you've got to have the pieces around them. It means nothing if you don't have the pieces around them. We've seen superstars uh, just kind of languish uh, on teams and, and things. Not it, It's great that you have that spotlight, but the intent here is to win. The intent here is to you know, be a playoff contender year after year after year, and you need offense to do that, and these guys uh, definitely bring that offense. James, one of the things, and, and this, this really kind of got me, is that when that picture came out and it was Lewis Kelnick and Rodriguez, you know, you had two top five picks and a rookie of the year. It just kept scrolling through my tweet deck because people were, re, you know, retweeting it over and over and over. And you know, I try and stay in the mindset of I'm a reporter. You don't look at things as a fan. And I looked at the picture and I started staring at the picture and staring at the picture and staring at the picture. And it got me. It hit me that this is different, that this is big. This isn't the Mariners putting out some beautiful graphic or, 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 or promotion of their players. This was MLB putting up two top five prospects and a rookie of the year. This was MLB putting the Seattle Mariners forward. And, you know, I know it's easy with all of the disappointment of the past two decades and, oh, this could go wrong and that could go wrong, but you can't compare this to anything. I, I this have, I had is a, different. I had a really similar reaction, Shannon, because I had never really considered the, the lottery ticket outcome of all three of them realizing their potential. You know, a, a couple of years ago when Julio Rodriguez was, you know, middling in the top 100 or even outside the top 100 prospects, when Kyle Lewis was right in the middle of it, when Jared Kelnick was sort of in the 20s and the teens, you know, you get the sense of like, okay, well, you know, if they all realize it, then one's an all-star and, you know, maybe the other two are average players. But when they continue to ascend like this and you're top five and you're rookie of the year, the ceiling becomes transcendent baseball talent. The Seattle Mariners organization has had Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, 
Felix Hernandez. Generational talents. Since Felix Hernandez and Alex Rodriguez, the Mariners haven't had anyone who was supposed to be to that level. And now they can legitimately argue they have three that can be in that spot. And that is, that's insane. And that, Shannon, I totally agree with you, is very different than the Mariners have had in the past and in their rebuild. And I, I too, I, I got excited and I got to dreaming the idea of if these three are there, they can become, the Mariners could become the envy of baseball with arguably one of the best outfields of all time if they all live up to their potential, which is, again, it's not something we could have ever said before. Well, sign me up. There's a lot of work that has to happen before that happens. And, you know, with any luck, and I don't think it's even luck, we should see Kelnick sooner than later. And we'll start to get a picture of two of them. But you've got to give them the opportunity to get their feet wet. You can't put too much on on Kelnick when he comes up. I think everybody thinks that he's going to be the Hall of Famer in his first week in the big leagues. There could be adjustment and uh, it, it's got, it should take a look, might not take a little bit. Kyle Lewis came up and, and, and couldn't stop hitting home runs. But, um, you know, that's an exciting thing heading into this season, knowing it's almost assured that you are going to see two of the three much, much sooner than later. So now let's move on to some of the bigger things in baseball. And uh, the biggest news of the weekend to me was the Nolan Arenado trade. And I would love to hear more about your reaction for it because mine was a little bit less uh, visceral than the Francisco Lindor trade that came down earlier, but we're hitting the same notes, Shannon, uh, with these deals that are coming down. Uh, Tell me your reaction to that deal. Well, the first was, wow, this actually happened. You you look at Arenado and the contract and you don't think that that is, you know, it's not going to be easy to move. And the dollars that were involved and all of a sudden the St. Louis Cardinals getting that much better and, uh, just kind of the insanity that uh, the Rockies would let him go and, and the reason why. I mean, it's, you don't see a deal like that signed and then two years later traded. It, it just that's that's, you know, you feel bad for the Rockies fans right now because that is not a good sign of things to come for them. But I, I think one of my immediate reactions was also, well, take that name off the list because I think Arenado would have been a target in free agency in uh, 2022 if he adopted out and I think it is much less likely that he opts out now so that that's you know that's a tough one you've seen Lindor come off the board probably I don't know what your feelings are if he is going to sign an extension there maybe not um I'm nearly uh, positive nearly positive and if not that then it's about market size and I don't think the Mariners are going to be in the business of doing another Robinson Cano and just trying to outbid everybody by 10 million (laughs) dollars I just I don't see them doing that so yeah, I think it's all but sealed that he's not going to be a Mariner. Okay, well, I think if it's the right person, uh, I, I think that they could. But you know, I, don't, I don't think they are resigned to we can't go after top names. I think they would like to be aggressive going after top names, and Jerry's done that before. You know, not, not on the big dollars, but the big names. We saw the pursuit that he put in for Otani, and that's a player he really, really, really wanted. So if there's a player that he really, really, really wants, I, I'm not. I don't think he's going to say, "Well, we're a smaller market. This isn't going to happen." I think he's going to look at the team that he's constructed, and he's going to say, "We are on our way up. We are, you know, going to be perennial contenders." I can sell this. Yeah, I'll, so cl- I'm, I'll I'm clarify that because I think that they will go after those guys. But I think that history has shown that if the Mariners are going to win one of those guys, they have to dramatically beat everyone else. 
It's not that they're right. taking even market deals across between the Dodgers and the Mariners. Oh, they're going to go to the Mariners. Like, it's a 50-50 chance. No. The Mariners have to pay out to get those guys. And I don't know if they're going to want to be in that situation to have to overpay, truly overpay, to even get the greatest talent they want. But that's my theory. <laughs> and you can have your theory. Uh, the thing that uh, also jumped out at me, the more that I looked at it and the more that I thought of it, and this deal is just, my gosh. I mean, he's basically playing for free for a year mm. in St. Louis. And a lot of people were, uh, there was a lot of reaction. And, well, why didn't the Mariners take this deal? They didn't, you know, you looked at what went the other way and not a top 10 prospect was touched nope. from the Cardinals organization. And I'm going to go ahead and say I'm probably 99% sure this deal was not available to the Mariners. Right. And the more I looked at it, Howdy, the more this to me looked like a Ken Griffey Jr. situation. I totally agree. I, I And this is one of the really difficult things about being the Mariners and having lost for as long as they have. They, they just don't have that advantage to where they're on that list for guys who are okay, I want to go to one of these three places, or I want to just target this one place. It's just, they're, they're not the Dodgers for that. It's not about the money. It's about where guys want to be. And it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a shame. It's a challenge that they have to overcome, and it's why it's really important that they hit on their young guys. But I agree. I don't think that this was even close to available to them, and I don't even think that if the Mariners did offer a much better package that they still would have been considered for this. I totally agree with you. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that he said trade. Well, I, we know that he said trade me. He he demanded to be traded, yeah. and I wouldn't be surprised if it was Dodgers or Cardinals. Dodgers, I believe, would have a luxury tax issue with that, mm-hmm. and there may have just been one team that he would go to, and I think that is a good reason why you did not see the big prospects. You know, there's a lot of money too involved in that, but I have a feeling that I, I think it just it really, really, really to me rang. Uh, of what we saw when Junior left Seattle. But it does just, it, it's so hard as a Mariners fan to rack up Nolan Arenado, Jamison Talion, Tyon, um, Francisco Lindor, and you could theoretically, I know it's not the reality, but you could theoretically have all three of those guys without giving up any of your top five prospects. <laughs> you could completely remake your roster with three of the better to best talents in baseball without giving but up any you of your can't. top prospects. That's not the deal. That's not right. the deal. You right. can't. And it's a challenge. But <laughs> it, it does speak to an interesting trend because, you know, in the past, baseball has really been the sport where you, if you want to get one of the best, biggest stars in baseball, you have to trade a ransom of top prospects, not number of prospects, top prospects. But Why do you think they're building the farm system? But, but <laughs> Shannon, I'm not necessarily seeing that the same way. I think that there is a an increased an increased weight on the financial impacts of trades since the last uh, uh, collective bargaining agreement that these teams basically have to keep to a certain salary number or else it's going to be so prohibitive in penalties that they're going to be hamstrung moving forward. And I think that it's changed the value of major trades. And I don't think that you necessarily need to give up your best players anymore as long as you have the ability to take on the money that's required to take some of these great talents. And it's a shame to me that the Mariners are one year behind because I think you and I will both agree, and we've talked about this, if these situations were next year and the Mariners put together the season that they hope to have where their young guys take another step and they're adding at the deadline and they're a fringe playoff team at the end of the season, 
They're sitting there this offseason trying to be the Mets and trying to be the Padres and looking to see who is the next guy, who are the batch of guys that can put us over the top. We're ready to spend what it takes without giving up our best stuff. And it's just really tough to see the Mariners have to skip out on this offseason when some guys are moving and some real difference maker talent for not elite talent. Yeah, but it makes sense. I mean, you don't want to give up on anybody at this point. I, when it comes to the bigger names, I have no problem with the Mariners not being in on them or, or acquiring them. I, I can look at this right now, and they truly believe that they have a potential answer at every position on the field. So what do you do? And, and not just, you know, this will do type answer. These are guys that they've invested in, um, that they are building for this in particular. And the only thing that would stop it would be, you don't know what's going to happen when they get to the big leagues. Not everybody pans out. So the idea of taking a longer look, because let's be honest, 60 games, not enough. It's not enough to make that determination. I I know what the plan was, and I know that in year three they're supposed to do this. Well, they didn't get year two. It was a season, but it wasn't a full season. And I don't think it's unreasonable to look at it that way. I think that you hope that you are caught up. I think it is reasonable to look at it that you are caught up by the end of year three, that you can make up for lost ground in that time. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean that there aren't complimentary players out there that perhaps you could go out and get on a shorter term deal that can help things along, but it can't be players that would be blocking players that may be part of your future. That, you know, at this point of the game would, and they made an investment in what they did. I know that it looks like, well, they tore everything down and the payroll came down. And it was very expensive to do that, but this is for the long term. And you don't want them getting cold feet about it at this point or taking shortcuts at this point. So I, I, I'm not, I, you know, I have no problem with them not going after Trevor Bauer or the bigger names. And I don't even feel bad that, well, this guy was available and they couldn't go get him. Unless it's a Lindor or an Arenado that I thought would be available next year. That hurts. But as far as what was available this year and, and the big ticket items, not as worried about that. Yep. I, and I, I do think that they go into next season with, with targets. I think there are a lot still on the list, and I think there are names that fans would be very excited about. Yep, I totally agree with you, and we talked about this before the pandemic came around. I'm willing to withhold judgment on how the Mariners spend their money when I see them start to spend it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be okay with them saving money as long as there's another shoe to drop at the end. And I'm okay with it not being this year because – they're not quite ready and they don't want to start spending too soon and paint themselves into a corner to where, you know, they're a pretty good team, but they're not an elite team because they started spending too early and then they got answers before they had questions answered. I'm okay with it not being this year, but when next year comes around or the year after, when they decide this is our time, I, I want to see it go big. Uh, I want to see all those savings pay off and not just be a, we put it away because we weren't going to win. So we just decided not to lose money by, losing games and we just saved that money and now we feel better about ourselves when they're ready to go i hope they spend it all and i i I believe that they will because um you know this ownership group hasn't proven that they won't do it and and i believe in it and i think next year's the year we're we're just going to have to wait and see and and wait and see what develops over this year and i've said all along i'll be curious to see if it does happen i think it could start as soon as the trading deadline this year if they put themselves in position to make a postseason, which at this point is going to be a lot tougher than I think what people thought it would be, because as of right now, it's a ten-play, it's a ten-team field, 
you know, there, there are no expanded playoffs right now. But if they are in a position to do something and the long-term player is there, do they spend then? And I, I thought all along that they would. I don't know how the mode that they're in now, and I think there was a little bit of a shift, uh, would affect that. But um, I wouldn't mind seeing it as early as that. If not, I, I think next offseason is definitely the time that it is expected, so let's and fairly so. Let's take it forward to the rest of this offseason, because Jerry DePoto has said a cup multiple times, even on his DePoto show with Danny and Gallant in the mornings on Thursdays, that they're not done yet, necessarily, uh, that they don't believe that their bullpen is finished and that there's a potential uh, for some platoon-slash-bench-type bats that can play in the outfield and the infield. Uh, what are you hearing? What do you foresee uh, for the Mariners the rest of the way to finish out their roster before uh, the season starts? Well, I think that they're kind of playing this market out and we're running out of time with it. So I think you are going to see something in the next couple of weeks. And I think that, you know, DePoto definitely wants to add to the bullpen. And I think it's a situation where there are so many names out there that he can wait for the player that kind of falls to him because they never were in the market for the big closer and what they've done so far with the bullpen. I think exponentially it's better. You might not know the names, but from where they were starting, I think they without with without question have improved that bullpen greatly. I think things are getting a little bit interesting on the left-handed batter. I think if you take it all the way back to the start of spring trade or the start of the off season, you heard DePoto talk quite a bit about the infield outfield type player that they wanted. And that's changed a little bit. He, I want to say it was on Danny and Gallant last Thursday. He's got his weekly show, 830 every Thursday morning on 710 ESPN Sports. Um, I, I think that uh, he's actually, I know that he said that they are still looking for that player. Definitely in free agency. They're not looking trade right now. And you know, there was a little bit of a twist when he said second base, in left field, it wasn't and, it was or. They were looking for a guy that could handle second base or left field. So that's a little bit different. And when you look at what's available out there right now in the free agent market with left-handers, there's not a lot. You know, Colton Wong is the name that comes up the most. Obviously, you could put him at second base. Great defense. Um, he's got some on base. Doesn't strike out a lot. Not going to have a lot of pop but he's a player that uh, a lot of teams ha have an eye on. Uh, I, I think um, that was very interesting because they also backed off a little bit how much Dylan Moore would play second base. And I think we can all agree that ideally, and as much as I'd like to see Dylan Moore at second base every day to see what he is, I think we have a good feeling that ideally, if you had a playoff contending team, you want Dylan Moore as your super utility player. You want I, him playing a lot, but yep. because he can do that, that's what you want. His skills are probably not best utilized parked at one position. So, you know, I think second base is a position that they're looking at a little bit more. And if you look to the outfielders, there's not a lot right now. You've got some old guys that, you know, the left-handed bat, but, you know, Gardner and Marcakis, but I, I don't think you're looking to bring a 37-year-old in right now. They don't strike out a lot. They've got decent on base. They've got experience, but I don't think that's where they're going. I think an interesting name that I hadn't really seen before is when that, I was just looking. Is Jock Peterson? Oh, wait, no, he got signed. <sighs> Did you have to do that? I'm so, Did you have to I do that? I was so disappointed the day that came down. I was so disappointed. I was like, this is the perfect guy for what they want to do. Young-ish. He's got a couple of tools that are interesting. He's been with a winning organization. He's coming off of a bad year. 
Like, oh, man, everything is lining up well. And then he signs a one-year deal with another year option, which is exactly what I wanted the Mariners to do. I, I was so bummed. Well, DePoto also did say that a couple got away, you know, that they yes, were talking to a bunch and that they thought they had a couple and they didn't. And you can take that for what you will, but I would imagine that that was somebody that they were after. Uh, a name that I kind of totally missed and, and didn't until I like looked at the entire list and I haven't heard out there, but I think that would be interesting. Brock Holt is oh, really? somebody that could come in, play left field, uh, did not have a good 2020, but had a very good 2019 and uh, to, basically was pretty good in his role for the Red Sox for a long time. Again, a little bit older in 32, but he's just a year separated uh, from a season where you know, he put up a 7.71 OPS. I uh, yeah. think that that perhaps is a possibility. W- w- the Mariners are not looking for somebody who could eventually be a cornerstone piece of their outfield. They're looking for somebody who is going <laughs> no. to like who is going to be passable with the potential to either stay there all year if their next guy's not ready or perform well enough that it propels them towards a playoff run and he can be a platoon guy, or that maybe he does well, the rest of the team doesn't. They can flip him and get some eighteen-year-old back, like teams like to do at trade deadlines. So I, they're not. They don't have to be super specific with the guy that they're getting in this position, but I think it is an interesting one to look at. Yeah, and what we're not hearing, what I'd like to see is somebody that can play some first base too. Yeah. If you have to send Evan White back or give him some time down, I, I think that I don't think they're very well covered there unless Marmaleos makes the roster. And, you know, that's another thing. I haven't gotten the final answer on that, but if they go, if if they wipe out the rule where you have to have 13 pitchers and 13 position players or hitters, they're going to go with eight in the pen, which means three on the bench. So I don't know that you have room for that player. So it's you know there's there's work to be done on that side. They're in an interesting spot. There's a lot of names in this sort of category of guys that you don't have to throw your entire franchise onto that can be an impact or uh, can impact your season next year and potentially another year after that. There's plenty of guys out there. I, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll come out with somebody and I think it'll be an interesting name to watch. So uh, good stuff. And there's a chance a starter falls to you too. That's something that you keep an eye out for. There are so many players right now that are still on the free agent market. And you know, Jerry DePoto is just dying to get his hands on something that is going to be a bargain of value, something that he can do something with. And uh, 148 free agents still on the market right now on February 2nd. It's, it's a lot. It's a, uh, it's not a new phenomenon for baseball. This has been a couple years now where this has been the case. So, um, Hopefully the Mariners' patience will pay off and they'll get a couple of diamonds in the rough because Jerry DePoto has shown to be pretty adept at that with the pitching staff the last couple of years, and I hope he can pull it off again. We'll see. There are names out there. Taiwan Walker is still out there. James Paxson, believe it or not, that's an interesting name that's out there. Chris Archer, very interesting name that's out there. Former ace. You know, Taiwan Walker is somebody that we haven't talked really about in a long time. Uh, there was a lot of thinking that the Mariners were going to be high on him, and then there was some thinking as to the way he finished with the Blue Jays that he may be able to secure himself more of a multi-year deal and that some contender may want him. Where do you think things sit with him? I think there's. I think a lot of teams are probably doing the same thing with him to see just kind of where this shakes out. I, I think he should be a multi-year candidate, but there just haven't been that many. 
And uh, I think that he will, unfortunately for him, again, be a late, late sign and there'll be a flurry of activity and competition for him kind of at the last minute. I, the Mariners like him. That that has never changed. But, um, you know, what they're able to do in, in regards to going and getting him and, and what kind of deal, that I don't know. Well, good stuff, Shannon. I've, I don't have anything else. You've laid out everything that I could possibly want to know as a Mariner and a baseball fan, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> You gonna come down and take batting practice? Someday, I'm not allowed to this time around. I think they uh, they said that I put a hex on the team since all the restrictions came down on Arizona while I was flying there. So not a great omen on that front. But uh, totally forgot you fixed the Nino and you absolutely killed everything else. Yeah. Good job, Howdy. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not in good graces with Scott Service, and I understand. I, I'm a big believer in jinxes, so. Oh, I, I, I'm with you. I'm not getting on a plane. Uh, we'll keep it all safe. Well, we're going to work hard to get that turned around. <laughs> That's great. Well, Shannon, thanks so much for joining us. Tune in next time uh, to the Talking Mariners podcast with uh, your host, Shannon Dreher, and myself, James Osborne, a.k.a. Boy Howdy.